It has been a rough couple of weeks for a couple of families in our church and for those who know them well, and even if you don't know them, just hearing some of these reports. The more we hear the words, no change in both situations, um, the worse it seems to get. And it gets that we're not even sure which are the right questions to ask. So many of you want to help, and yet there's only so much that we can do, and so we continue to pray. But even then, we're not even sure just how to pray. But we are the body of Christ. We pull together, and there is strength and power in that. Our faith is tested and stretched, and even though that is hard and even painful, we know that when our faith is tested and stretched, we know, uh, at least in our heads, that that's what makes us stronger. We know that it drives us more towards God when we feel particularly in need. And even though we don't always understand what God is doing, we do affirm our trust in Him because we know He is faithful. We know His love for His children is never-ending. Now what some are enduring now is painful and difficult. Megan has opened us up a little bit to what this psalm says. And this is speaking of pain and difficulty that come at the hands of an oppressor, a persecutor. But perhaps this psalm of a sense can maybe relate a little bit for us now in this season of testing for us, this season of strengthening and stretching for us. It opens with the line, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. It's been going on for a long time from my youth. And then it says, let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, what's that doing in there? Why, why the repeat? Well, that reminds us that these were psalms that were sung to each other and sung as they went up towards Jerusalem. There's some kind of response said where one person perhaps said, they've greatly oppressed me from my youth. Now everybody join in because even though we use the singular for Israel, it's all of us. They have greatly oppressed me. They have greatly oppressed us from our youth. The abuse and the pain is declared, and then they all declare, but they go on and say this next line, but they have not gained the victory over me. They've not gained the victory over me. Get it? See, the whole community is doing what? What we've talked about? Remember and believe, remember and believe, remember and believe. The whole community is remembering what they have suffered for so long, but the whole community is also declaring God's victory and declaring their own perseverance because of God's victory. Remember and believe. Remember and believe. It's why they repeated these psalms to each other as they went up, as they are on their way. And that's what the series has been. As we started with Psalm 120, and the picture started over here with the black one down the wall. We're over to the other wall now. We're up to 129. These are psalms that we believe the the Jewish people sang to each other and sang as they went up to Jerusalem three times a year. They reminded each other of God's goodness. It it strengthened them as as a people of God. And we're learning lessons for discipleship in the process. And here on the way, they remind each other and they declare the faithfulness of God and the perseverance it gives to them. They have not gained the victory over us. This illness, this diagnosis, this unchanging situation has not gained the victory over me. This uncertainty, this waiting has not pulled us apart. It has not overwhelmed us because God is righteous and God is faithful to his people. We are reminded of the same as we as a community, as we gather around the goods and we gather around the peck and paws and as we gather around others in need going through difficult situations. It's painful. Yes, it's very painful and it's sad. But we persevere as the people of God because God has not abandoned and we trust him. Let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back. They've made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. And he has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. 
So today we want to look at Psalm 129 and how Psalm 129 lists up the righteousness and the faithfulness of God as it takes us to the painful places where perseverance is learned or perhaps rejected. We're going to look at it simply in terms of the friends of God and the foes of God. The friends of God find perseverance and progress on the way. The foes of God run into consequences and even what sounds like curses at the end of the psalm. The psalm is not the happiest songs uh, that the pilgrim sang on the way up to Jerusalem, but it is hopeful. As brothers and sisters, as fellow travelers, they renew their confidence. They are God's children. They're God's friends. But life has not been easy. The background of this is the suffering of Israel. This reference to oppression since my youth is most likely a reference to a time when Israel was in Egypt for so many hundreds of years. We know that story. We read that story. We read the story of, Egypt, of Israel in Egypt getting bigger and bigger and yet subjected to hundreds of years of oppression, cruelty, and slavery. And we become aware of what a significant chapter that is in their history. Since my youth, remember that it was when they came out of Egypt, when they went through the Red Sea and into the Exodus, is when God formed them as a nation. That's their youth. Since my youth, we have been oppressed like this. It affects everything to the people of Israel. All the way through the Exodus, even up to the Babylonian exile, nearly a thousand years later, even up through the Holocaust of the 20th century, Israel has always suffered in this world. It's possible that this psalm was even written at the time of the Babylonian captivity. And then there is this imagery of a plow furrowing the back. It's vivid and it's painful. Like a whip, like a long, long whip. And yet the long probably refers also to to a long time that this has gone on. It's a painful, horrible scene. It's a painful, horrible, painful place in Israel's life and awareness. But there are two phrases here that begin with a three-letter word, but. And with them, then, there is this resting in the righteousness and faithfulness of God. But the oppressors have not gained the victory over me. Yahweh never abandons his people. Time and time again, he intervenes. We read it down through the story of Israel. Israel beaten down, but not destroyed. In bondage, but not permanently. But the Lord is righteous is the second one. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. The Lord is righteous. Righteous means he keeps his promise. He keeps his covenant. Righteousness is a, is a quality and an attribute of God, but this isn't some abstract comp thing that the psalmist is talking about. It's not just a quality of God. To say that God is righteous means, yes, he's always right, but it also means he is always in right relationship to us. God is righteous. God made a promise and he sticks with it. He is always right with us. He is always right in his relationship with us. This refers to the close personal relationship that he has with us of the creator with the creation. Let me read just a little bit from Eugene Peterson, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, this book from the 80s that still has a lot of relevance. Well, the Bible's even older than that and it seems to be pretty good too, right? That the, quote, Lord is righteous is the reason that Christians can look back over a long life, crisscrossed with cruelties, unannounced tragedies, unexpected setbacks, sufferings, disappointments, depressions. Look back, look back across all of that and see it as a road of blessing and make a song out of what we see. Quote, sorely they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. God sticks to his relationship. He establishes a personal relationship with us and he stays with it. The central reality for Christians is the personable, personal, unalterable, persevering commitment that God makes to us. And then I love this line. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. 
It is the result of God's faithfulness. I'm not trying hard enough. You don't need to. Just trust the faithfulness of God. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. It's the result of God's faithfulness. And that's not just an Old Testament thing. This doesn't just find reality in the suffering of Israel. This is also part of the way of discipleship as we look at it. Ours can be a tough faith too. It is not easily snuffed out. It can survive the ups and downs. It can survive the attacks and the tests and the times of stretching. Jesus himself begins ministry with 40 days of severe temptation and testing in the wilderness. And what does he finish with? He finishes with trials and beatings and torture and crucifixion. But evil did not prevail. God won. God had not abandoned. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 says this, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have laid and I have toiled, I have gone without sleep, I have known hunger and thirst, and have gone with, often gone without food, I have been cold and naked, besides everything else I face daily, the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? But none of this did Paul in. Did he get weary? You bet. Did he vent? That's a little bit of a vent right there. But he persisted. He persisted in the way of discipleship. He knew that faith was tough and would withstand this. And he persisted in the way of discipleship in the pursuit of Christ and that all would know Christ. He knew he made the right choice on the road to Damascus. He had confidence in the God who is right in all his relationship, God who is faithful and always working out his purposes. That's why I say here this is perseverance and it's progress. Perseverance through the difficulties that enables a progress towards the goal of oneness with Christ. Am I as confident as the Apostle Paul? No way. I don't have any writings that made the Bible, but I, you know, am I that unswerving? No. And I count myself a friend of God, and I thank him for opportunities to strengthen me in perseverance and to make progress on that way. But then we come to the four verses at the end of the psalm. They're like little zingers that are fired at the oppressors. If Israel and Christians are are friends of God, we might call these directed in the direction of those we might call the the foes of God. These are the, the consequences of opposing God and perhaps even curses. We know there's consequences to rejecting God, but curses, is that what these really are? Now, Megan mentioned a big vocabulary word, and I'm going to try to explain it, the word imprecation. It's not a word that we, at least I don't use it daily, maybe... You do, but um, uh, we even refer to some psalms as the imprecatory psalms. So there's a little bit of learning right now. What did you get out of the sermon today? Learned what imprecatory meant. Imprecatory psalms are those psalms that contain curses or prayers for the punishment of the psalmist's enemies. To imprecate means to invoke evil upon or to curse. It was pretty common when you read through the Bible. Several psalms contain prayers for God's judgment on the psalmist's enemies. Psalm 129 doesn't really pronounce judgment. It's not quite, it's even not on every list of imprecatory psalms. But it, um, but it comes really close. It's possible it's just a venting of the psalmist in the midst of this oppression. Like when we lose it temporarily in the midst of a difficult time. Yeah, we're on our way, we're persevering, but we, we need a time to vent. I, 
I found myself venting a couple weeks ago. We're in a long, 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 long process of getting our home uh, recited. We had some hail damage back in May. I saw all my neighbors getting new siding. I went, I'm just going to check the insurance company and see if it works for me. Well, that was several months ago. There's a pallet of siding sitting in my driveway that's not on my house. Today would have been a good day to side a house, wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, we have been going round and round and round and round with the insurance company and the contractor. And um, there was a moment um, a couple weeks ago I was at breakfast and I was supposed to meet with the, 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 third, the third inspection, the third adjuster and my contractor at my home at a specific time. And I was at breakfast with a friend. I kept getting texts and I found out they were at my home two hours early. This was after they had reminded me by email four different times what time they would be there and what the window was, and they came early, and I was not a happy camper or a happy homeowner. So I went home. They were standing in my driveway, and um, they received my vent. But I'm also a nice guy, so I apologized, backed all over myself, and my contractor goes to the, to the agent. She, she says, actually, it's the first time I've heard him do this. So, I, you know, she came to my defense. But, you know, sometimes we just feel this need to sort of vent some of the anger, you know. But then I think about siding my house, and I, I go, oh, yeah, first world problems. You know, when your remodeling project takes too long, that's not persecution. That's not a hard, hard life. I have to remind myself in the midst of these myself. Sometimes we need to just vent a little bit when the pain's coming in these real situations too. But these seem like they're kind of a, 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 a curse on those who would oppose God. It's hard to reconcile sometimes with the teaching of Jesus about turning the other cheek or, or the love of enemies. It helps to understand that the imprecatory psalms are not a matter of personal revenge. Rather, these harsh statements reflect the psalmist's awareness of God's justice and God's intolerance for sin. This isn't just, I'm really upset. This is, I see that the justice of God is being opposed. I see that you are opposing the purposes of God, and I stand against it. And it comes with this harsh language, even this language sometimes of cursing. They are appeals to God to fix what's wrong. God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Here then is a call for shame, a call for no fruitfulness or blessing. It makes sense that those who oppose God's purposes will not receive the blessing of God. It's as if verses 5 through 8 are saying to the enemies of God, no blessing for you, no blessing for you. I almost put a picture of the soup Nazi up who says, no soup for you. But uh, this is more serious business. Some Seinfeld watchers laugh, the others are going, huh? But... Um, the sense the psalmist is saying, no blessing for you. You oppose the purposes of God. You try to do in the people of God. No blessing for you. Verse 5 says, may all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. Essentially, it's the shame of defeat. You who oppose Zion, meaning the people of God, you will not gain the victory. May you be turned back in shame with no victory. Secondly, verse 6, May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fills his arm. Now, we need a little interpretation of grass on a roof. Some of us, if we don't clean our gutters out, we get little maple trees in our gutters, but that's not what this is talking about. I won't ask you to raise your hand. In ancient Palestine, flat roof covered with boards and sticks, and then on top of that for insulating was a layer of dirt. And as the winds blew, seeds would sometimes take root in the roof of the house. You literally would have a, a rooftop garden. But the roots couldn't go very far, and nothing ever came of it. You couldn't gather any, any, any grain from that if it, it sprouted there. And that's the reference here. May you be like that kind of grass, not kind of the, the rich and fertile fields that will bring forth grain, but that grass, which it, it grows up and then the sun comes out and it withers before it can grow. It will never even be reaped by a, a reaper. 
and no one will fill their arms with the produce of that roof. The point is no fruitfulness, no just a worthless crop withering. May you experience no victory. May you experience no fruitfulness. And then number eight, may those who have passed by say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name... Or, may those who pass by them, there's a key word here, not say to them. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. And that was a standard greeting. If you were walking down the road and you saw some people uh, gathering, up, um, gathering up their crops, you would say, may the blessing of the Lord be on you. There was always this, this, this richness in the life of Israel that when they saw the bounty, everything was so agriculturally oriented that when they saw that, they would say, bless you, bless you, bless you. But when we walk by the one who has no fruit, may we withhold that blessing. It's not going to happen to the foes of God. No blessing. So are these curses? Or are they simply consequences for the foes? It seems more to be that. It may even be a glimpse at the venting that comes in dealing with adversity. Sometimes we just need to let loose a little bit. But the impact for the pilgrims, the impact for the Israelites who said these psalms to each other, the impact for the pilgrims who are remembering and believing, and the impact for us is God wins. God's friends prevail. While those who oppose him those who are his foes do not prevail. They're singing to each other on the way. Remember and believe, remember and believe on the way. So I wrap this one up. This is a tough one, by the way. <laughs> but I ask the question here as we close and reflect a little bit before we sing again. Are, are we on the way? Are, are we on the way? Not just learning the lessons of discipleship, not just on our way down the wall, hanging up all the pictures. These are wonderful. I love the effort you've all put into these. I look forward to the next one each week. I'm so glad my little hanging system is working and nothing's fallen off the wall yet. I'm really happy about that. We're on a journey of learning some things. We're looking at these. But are we on the way, as we say here, on our way to the heart of God? Are we, are we getting closer? It is not an easy journey. It's not always a happy journey. Today we acknowledge that there's some some painful places that cannot readily be fixed with a Bible verse. Which is the pain of illness that's come into our life, or the pain of abuse that we look at in the psalm, abuse that may be very real in your own story. And it still wounds. We can't heal that and fix that with a sermon series or a quick word. But the theme, I believe, in the psalm is perseverance. Perseverance. We may suffer opposition. We may suffer abuse. We may suffer injustice. Not often for our faith in this culture, other than it not being taken very seriously. Some in our midst suffer because of who they are, where they are. Some struggle with issues of ethnicity and, and feeling that and, and, and some of the pain that comes with that and the misunderstandings and the abuses. Some of us are suffering under the weight of tragedies, of disease and illness. Some are feeling the pain of losses. So whether it's abuse, whether it's injustice, whether it's racism, whether it's our own personal suffering or just simply the inner struggles of our own health or mental health, we've all got stuff we're dealing with. I think the encouraging thing about this psalm is, first of all, name that pain. (laughs) Name it. Recount the suffering. 
Go back and look it in the face and deal with it and grieve and even vent. But persevere. Persevere. Remember that it is a righteous God who is near us, who is always in right relationship with us, is working out his purposes, and he is the God who wins. I think there's also the area where sometimes we're, we're doing okay. We're doing pretty well. Life is good. And that's where we need each other, isn't it? Because sometimes our sisters and our brothers aren't. And so I think that's part of it too. Remember, they sang these to each other. They encouraged each other with us. They, they said the psalm to each other because they had to encourage each other to remember and to believe and be faithful in the presence of God. Let us persevere. Let's pray. Lord, I'm having a hard time tying this one up with a neat bow, and I think that's just as it should be. There's not a neat bow to tie this day up with and this psalm up with. Yet I'm so grateful that at the very heart of it is your faithfulness and your righteousness and your people. We rest in those things. We take strength in those things. And we worship you in your name. Amen.